This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 312. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to be bringing you another show, but we are back to our evening recording. So I am normal, normal energy, Andrew, this evening. We are the Family Gamers. As always, as I said, I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. This week on the show, we are going to talk about... Something a little bit exciting. Next week, I am going to Essen. In fact, the day you hear this show will be the day I am on an airplane. So we're going to talk about Essen. We're going to talk about the games that we are excited for. We went to BGG. We took the hot list or whatever it is, and we filtered it from 1,150 games to 49. I am impressed. It was a lot of work, but uh, we have found the less than 50 games that we are the most excited about, and uh, we're going to talk about some of them probably not all of them uh but definitely not all of them <laughs> i mean you know whatever anyway so we are very excited to bring that to you second half of the show first half of the show we're going to do that stuff we normally do i'm going to start us off with a fact okay anitra what do you know about the incredible hulk his alter ego is bruce banner mm-hmm. he turns into the incredible hulk when he's very angry when he's very angry okay so That is kind of a fundamental part of the Hulk character, right? Yes. Well, it turns out that in 1985, a Hulk comic book featuring Bruce Banner's past changed the Hulk character forever. This would not be the introduction of She-Hulk, would it? No, no, no. This has nothing to do with She-Hulk. Okay. She's on TV now. She is. Here we go. It would not be overstating things to say that 1985's monster from Incredible Hulk number 312 was one of the most influential Hulk issues in the history of the character. The reason why Incredible Hulk 312 is so important is because it reconceptualized the origin of the Hulk. Bill Mantlo, Mike Mignola, and Terry Talawak looked back to Bruce Banner's relationship with his father, Brian Banner, and we see that the abusive Brian Banner helped to, in effect, create the Hulk decades before the Hulk was literally born by building up the abuses suffered by young Bruce. We see that Brian Banner was worried about the birth of his son and how it might endanger the life of his wife. He also worries about the radiation that he was exposed to during his atomic research and wonders if it might have an effect on his unborn son. We mostly see that Banner is an alcoholic jerk who only cares about his wife and not his unborn son. Hmm. Over time, he abuses his son. When he, Brian, discovers that his young son, Bruce, is a genius, he assumes that the radiation caused him to be a mutant, and he begins to abuse his son, which leads to young Bruce seeing his father as a fantastical monster. Hmm. Here's the main kicker. Here's the main kicker. The idea that Brian Banner's abuse of his young son effectively created a sort of hidden monster within Bruce. That's it. This monster was then years later unleashed, air quote, by the gamma radiation that Bruce was exposed to in the gamma bomb explosion. Hmm. That's a cool way to make the backstory of the Hulk more meaningful. And yeah. All right. So, I mean, it's, it's a kind of a heavy thing, but there you go. Incredible Hulk 312. All right. And that's my fact about the number 312. Cool. 
Well, I've got a message from our sponsor. As a reminder, First Move Financial is letting us know how they would work with a young family, earning a combined $100,000 with a net worth of around $25,000 and the goals of buying a home and starting a family in the next few years. When preparing to buy your first home, there is a lot to learn and what usually feels like very little time to do it. The main thing you want to have a good handle on is what you can afford for a monthly payment. The easiest way to make sure you can afford your estimated payment is try it out. Take the difference between your rent and your expected mortgage payment. Put that into savings. Next, you need to make sure that your credit is in good shape. You can pull your credit reports for free from annualcreditreport.com to see what potential creditors will see when they pull your credit. Start making progress paying down existing debts. Dispute any debts that aren't yours. Then when you're ready, you can take a first-time homebuyer's course, start talking to a realtor, and determining the next steps on your home ownership journey. Thanks again to First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. You can set up a free phone call with them by going to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers. All right. Thanks again to First Move Financial. All right. Well, Anitra, I think... You know, this has been sitting here for a couple of days, so I think we're going to, instead of starting off our show with what we've been playing, I think we're going to start off our show with some force science. What do you think? Sure, we can do that. <laughs> All right. We, I think I mentioned this on last week's show. I don't even remember. We had a show listener, Chris Anderson, reach out to us and say, hey, FYI, something is coming to you for science. He we did. had no idea yes. what it was. I started checking the P.O. box every day because I figured if it was something I was going to eat and I knew it was coming, it was probably organic and I didn't want it to go bad. <laughs> I just, I didn't know. I mean, packaged food, hopefully not going to go bad that fast. Well, I but, didn't know it was packaged know. food. Right. <laughs> so I am holding in my hands something from Kentucky, which usually means it's spicy and delicious. That's what I Kentucky means. That's what Kentucky means to me. But uh, right here in my hand, it, it is from Louisville or Louisville. I don't, I don't know how the, the right way you're supposed to say it. We're from New England. Yes. We don't have the right way to I'm gonna say, say it. I'm going to say Louisville. Anybody can correct me. Vegan Jerky Company. All right, open up the envelope okay, and let's so see what's open inside. It up. Here we go. I mean, this is a nondescript mailer right now. We just read the address and decided we would open it on air. I'm going to go ahead and thank Louisville Vegan Jerky for an easy open container. Here we go. I have a handful of... Okay, here we go. All right. Several different ones. Several different Louisville Vegan Jerkies. We have Smoky Carolina Barbecue and Buffalo Dill Vegan Jerkies. I am interested. Let's see. We've got... A very cool thank you. Enjoy 10% off your next order. It is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Nice, nice. OMG, thank you. And I have uh, another sticker. And very, very much thank you to Chris for this one. Anitra, which one would you like to try first? Louisville Vegan Jerky, Smoky Carolina Barbecue, or Buffalo Dill? Well, seeing as I don't particularly like Buffalo or Dill, I'm going to go with the Smoky Carolina Barbecue. You don't like, like dill pickles? Have you not noticed that I don't really eat the pickles that I make? Well, I appreciate you making them anyway. I, okay. I don't hate dill, but it's not an appealing flavor to me. Fine. Well, I've got, oh my gosh, the buffalo dill. You got the buffalo dill. Ugh. So I'm curious. I'm going to read what's on the back of here. Sure. Does vegan jerky from a southern state surprise you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow, this has got a lot of smell. Okay. It is made from textured soy protein, mustard, apple cider vinegar, sugar water, tamari, uh, and some other flavoring okay. agents. Well, I, I'm ready to give some a try. 
Ooh, smells very barbecuey. I'm going to try the Buffalo Dill. You're going to try the Carolina Smoky yes. Barbecue. Is that what it is? All right, here we go. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's a very Buffalo flavor. Mine is definitely with some dill in the back. I mean, I definitely taste both those flavors. Texture's a little bit weird. It's a little chewy. I mean, I guess jerky is chewy, but it's not quite like a meat chewy. This feels to me like chewy, kind of like a like an overcooked chicken. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pass this over to you because you're going to have to try both. All right, I suppose. Ooh, the Smoky Carolina Barbecue has a little bit of spice in the very back. Oh, that Buffalo Dill has more. So we'll be taking a break after this then. <laughs> we'll see. But I like the flavor of the, the Smoky Carolina Barbecue. Oh, it smells excellent, actually. Yeah, it smells really good. All right, here we go. We're going to switch. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean, though. The Buffalo Dill is more chewy. There is nothing about the Buffalo Dill that I like. <laughs> oh, oh, ow. Oh, it hurts, and then... Like, it's not even the straight buffalo flavor. It's got the dill in there, which for me does not improve it at all. I need a big glass of water. <laughs> all right. Well, while Anitra's getting a glass of water, I will say the Smoky Carolina Barbecue is very good. I actually think I also prefer the Smoky Carolina Barbecue. I don't think the buffalo dill is bad, but obviously out of these two, Anitra is going to be having the Smoky Carolina Barbecue, and I will be eating the buffalo dill. Flavor aside, the texture of the Smoky Carolina Barbecue was better. I think that's also true. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Like, I recognize that my distaste for the buffalo dill is mostly the flavor, which I just really, really don't like this flavor. But I did like the texture of the other one better as well. Yeah, I agree with you also that there's a tiny bit of spice on the back of the Smoky Carolina barbecue. I'm going to go ahead and say that if you didn't tell me that these were vegan, like, I might be a little curious because the texture is not quite a meat texture. But I mean, they, I they I probably taste would good. I probably would ask like, is this chicken jerky or yeah, something? Yeah, exactly. Because like, it, it doesn't this feel is like not beef jerky. jerky clearly, yeah. but but I'm not really sure what it is. So I'm going to go ahead and say they did a pretty good job yeah. making a you know meat feeling substrate for all of the chemical spices that they put on it to make it taste like what it's supposed to taste like. The wonders of uh, textured soy protein, I guess. And I'm also going to say that um, if you don't want anybody to talk to you on an airplane, eat a bunch of this before you get on. Ooh. Buddy. And nobody is going to want you to open Ugh. your mouth. So I don't even want to open my mouth. There's a lot of taste going on right now. So uh, yeah, we're going to take a break and you're not even going to know about it because I'm going to edit it out. All right. Well, that's taken care of. I think we're still going to have the aftertaste for probably Ugh. the rest of the show, but it's a little bit less intense right now. I don't think these are bad. I think th these are a, a for science experiment that I probably will finish. Might even seek out again. Maybe. We'll see. For we'll, the, we'll see for the vegan or meat light people in our lives. Yeah, we do have some family that, uh, that prefer not to eat meat. So this is definitely an option for them. So we're going to get right into what we have been playing. So here's the deal. Even though you are listening to this at the beginning of October, we are recording it well before the end of September. And so we are not going to do the monthly report until next week's show. But we do have a bunch of games that we have been playing that are really, really fun. Do you want to open up the conversation? Sure. So my first game on here is Get On Board. <laughs> we're still playing more of it. <laughs> we, we are. So we released our review of this last week. We talked about it a bit with Colin Young already. I really enjoy it. I think it's a very good game. It's one of those that takes... Several things we've seen before and puts them together in a way that feels interesting and kind of fresh and without being super long, which is always good. Yeah. I, you know, 
having actually finished a game on BGA now, I I could probably be swayed into playing it on BGA again. But I definitely will prefer this game physically every time it comes out, even though yeah. it's got a little bit of, you know, fiddly bits and oops, I knocked over your route and it just messed up half the board kind of whatever, whatever. But uh, it, it it's it's good. It's good. We have a lot of fun with that. Next one on the list is a game that you and I played with our son, Asher. It is his favorite game ever. And this is Fire Tower from Runaway Parade. Still fun. We were talking the other week about how sometimes expansions really add something that was needed or fix something that was just a little broken. Mm -hmm. I don't think we will ever play Fire Tower without the Firehawk expansion. The Firehawks are cool. You could actually play without those, but the rules add a way to still play if you get knocked out, which they call Spirit of the Wood. Mm -hmm. It is very, very unlikely that you can win as Spirit of the Wood, but it still gives you something to do and keeps you invested in the game. Yeah. I, longtime listener of the show will not at all be surprised to hear that Asher won again. So again. <laughs> I was literally one turn away from killing him and he got me. So, But that means it was a good close game. Yeah. Yeah. Next on the list is a game that you had played a bunch last week and I played a little bit this week, which is Onitama. This game is really good. So good. So the way Onitama works is each player has two cards in front of them, and those two cards detail the ways in which you can move your pieces. And you basically spend a card to move one of your pieces. So you pick a move from your two cards, you move that piece, and then whatever card you used becomes the common card for the next person. But they can't use it right away. They have to kind of let it cool down for a turn. So it's this really interesting way where you end up giving your moves like back and forth between the two players it's really cool it's a very very clever game i really like how thinky the game is without being complicated and uh i played it against asher and beat him and then i played it against asher again and he beat me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so this is kind of how these games work because your pieces move in different ways every turn and so that means your opponent's pieces also move a different way every turn. And so you have to constantly be aware of the movement that they have available to them. But it's an open information game. Like, you need to be constantly looking over at your opponent's cards and saying, okay, if I'm moving this way, can they move right. in that direction? Yeah, if this was not a perfect information game, it, it just wouldn't be compelling because you would just never know what's going on. It would be a much more tense, paranoid game than kind of the zen experience that you have now. Sure, so, sure. I mean, it's it's good that it is that way. Well, we also played some more Delicious, which we will be reviewing next week. Mm -hmm. I tried the solo mode, which it's interesting that this game has a specific solo mode that is not just play the game as one player because this is one of those like multiplayer solo games that has very little player interaction anyway mm -hmm. but they have a specific solo mode that makes it more of a challenge and you can't just put you know whatever you want wherever you want there's a crow who jumps around on your little garden board garden sheet and always goes to basically the planter that would be the most desirable to keep filling. <laughs> okay. It's the most full planter sure. of whatever you have that isn't done. If it's completed, you can't put them there. So that was a really interesting challenge and made it, uh, made it a little more interesting for me. So that was good. Cool. 
And I see that you've got one more here. I sure do. I finally got a chance to sit down again with Asher. It's just kind of how these things work. Mm-hmm. And we got to play Sobek, which is a two-player game from Pandasaurus. Cool. So Sobek actually came out a while ago. It came out all the way back in 2010, but this is a two-player-only version of it that was kind of reworked by Bruno Cathala, who was the original designer. And in this game, you are sort of making sets of all of these different kinds of resources. And the resource tiles that you pick up on your board are, uh, they, they are worth kind of different amounts in the sense that like scrolls are generally going to be worth less than like ivory. And you can tell this because what you do is you multiply the number of tiles you have by the number of scarabs that appear in total across all of the cards and like the ivory is going to have more scarabs so three ivory times whatever the kind of baseline scarab count for ivory is going to be more than three scrolls times whatever their baseline kind of thing is right because on on three scroll tiles you're probably going to have one or two scarabs on three ivory tiles you're probably going to have like three or four scarabs so the way the game actually works is there's an onk that you move around across all the tiles on this like 10 by 10 board and every tile has these orientation markers. And so you have to move the onk on the axis that it's pointing. And then when it lands on something, before you take that tile, you have to turn the onk so that it is now pointing in the directions that that tile tells it to. So you're going back and forth, moving this onk around the board. And when you get to the point where you can't move it to pick up a tile, then you repopulate the board with, you know, some more tiles until you eventually run out of tiles in the game. And then you perform your calculations and you figure out who wins. As an added wrinkle to this, there's like statues that are kind of like wild, so they can go with any of these sets. And there's also characters that you can play that have a whole variety of special abilities. So it's kind of like one of those card games where you have to put down cards in sets of three like if you have a straight you have to have a straight of at least three before you can put it down as a set kind of thing and then you build on it so it's got a little bit of that sort of a mechanic to it so like you would put down a set of three of one resource and then if you wanted to add to it you would have to put down at least three more kind of thing so you can't just like put one Mm -hmm. on as you as you pick Mm -hmm. them up Mm -hmm. and put them down kind of thing so it's a really interesting game because as you start to move that onk around and as you pull tiles off the board, you're going to be a lot more strategic about where you move it because you don't uh, want to set your opponent up for like a sweet pickup. Uh, the other thing about this is kind of interesting is if as you move the onk, you pass over tiles, you have to pick up all of those tiles as well and add them to your corruption. So the only tile that you actually get to keep and have uh, add points is the one that you land on. But anything you pass over on the way is corruption. So it becomes a really interesting kind of tactical game to figure out how to get the tiles that you want without building your corruption up so high that at the end of the game, your opponent's going to get some kind of extra bonus. Mm. So it's kind of a laid back tactical set collection game, basically, is probably the easiest way to explain it. Okay, cool. I'm looking forward to trying that out. Yeah, it's nice and it it doesn't, I mean, it looks a little bit more complicated than, you know, it kind of really actually is at the end of the day. There's some stuff that's really easy to forget. So there's a little bit of extra maintenance that is kind of important to Mm. keep in mind as you go. Like when you sell something, you get to pick up these like canoe 
tokens or whatever they are. And we forgot almost every time. You know mm. what I mean? So it's just stuff like that. Got to get in the habit of all of the Yeah, reasons. exactly. Sure. Exactly. I don't have anything else. To give you some idea of what kind of week it's been, multiple times I have sat down to learn a game or teach a game with Asher, and we have not been able to finish. So you started a game today that I know you didn't finish. Yes. Do you want to talk about that? So, sure. That is one of two or three different games that we've (laughs) tried this week. Dang it. Uh, So this one is Dead and Breakfast from Brain Crack Games. So we are definitely going to try to get in a bunch of plays in this in the beginning of October. This is a neat tile placement game. You are building a haunted hotel. Okay. (laughs) And specifically, you are actually trying to scare your patrons. Um, Okay. So you're building out this hotel and there's other goals you can get to, like having uh, flowers that are connected to your lobby door by vines and stuff. But every time you finish one of the five floors, you get another customer who goes in one of the windows anywhere on your hotel. And then every customer has a special scaring condition and it applies to everything in their row or everything in their column they'll give you points at the end of the game based on that condition so like this one guy is super scared by ghosts so if he's got the row marker on him then you'll get points for every ghost in that row okay so that sort of idea sure so really neat i mean fairly simple in concept but the construction of the tiles make it really challenging You're building a five by five grid. It feels a little bit like King Domino in that regard. Sure. Because most of the pieces that you're using are two by one. But unlike something like King Domino, they all have to be placed in the proper orientation, you know, with the windows looking like normal windows and not like some sort of horrible conglomerate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So that makes it really interesting because like some are a vertical construction and some are a horizontal construction and some the vines don't really go where you would want them to go to connect and you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. And all of that kind of comes together. Sure. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a lot of fun. I definitely want to try it out. I don't know when I will have a chance. <laughs> I When you get back from Essen, probably. Yeah, hopefully. All right, well, I don't have anything else either. You know, we've played a bunch of things multiple times and uh, certainly this weekend as I pre-con with a con <laughs> I'll play a bunch more stuff. Yes. So uh, I'll be able to open up uh, episode 313 with a few more games I hope. Which is good because I'm not going to have anything. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. So why don't we do this? You want to welcome our new Facebook community members? Um, yeah, we'll do that first and then we'll get into our break with our snap review. Okay, let's do that. So if you are a new listener to the Family Gamers podcast, every second episode, we try to welcome all of the new members to our Facebook community. This week, Bruce Campbell is also welcoming all of our new members. To well, hello, community. Mr. Fancy Pants. <laughs> I'm going to get us started. I'm going to say welcome to Cleve. Welcome to Marie. Welcome to Brains on Games. Finally hey. joining the Family Gamers community. Let's go. Thanks, guys. All right. Welcome to Jared. All right. Welcome to Daryl. And welcome to Chris. We are so glad you joined the Family Gamers community. I see there's already some comments in there, not just on this welcome post, but from some of our new community members talking about some games that they've actually 
created themselves, which is pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we are going to talk about the games that we are excited to go and see at Essen. Well, I'm excited to go see them. You're also excited for me to go see them, I guess? Yes. Anyway, we'll talk about those in a minute. Each of us, two natures are at war, the good and the evil. That's true, I suppose. Robert Louis Stevenson explored this dynamic in his 1886 novella, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Most people know the general story of Jekyll and Hyde and these two personalities in one man. Many of us have even played games featuring these two characters, or maybe it's one character. We're at it again. This is a snap review for Jekyll vs. Hyde, a two-player trick-taking game by Jeon Il, published by Mandu Games and distributed by Flat River Games. It plays in about 20 minutes. The box says 14+, plus, but we think it can go quite a bit younger. Let's talk about the art in Jekyll vs. Hyde. Well, anybody who knows me knows if I say Vincent Dutrait, I'm going to say, I love it. The art here is excellent. It's dark and sinister in a gothic style, but it's not graphic or frightening. I love how each suit depicts the change from Jekyll to Hyde as the numbers get larger. The mysterious potion bottles get larger as their numbers increase too. There's also a really cool metal double-faced figurine, the identity marker, that moves down the board. It's an arrestingly visual presentation of the struggle between our two characters. Anitra, how do we play this game? Well, one player will take on the role of Dr. Jekyll and the other as Mr. Hyde. At the same time? So start by setting up the board with the identity marker on the first space of Dr. Jekyll's side. Then deal 10 cards to each player. Players exchange one card on the first round, two cards on the second round, and, you guessed it, three cards on the third round. If a player has two or more potion cards, they must include a potion as one of the cards they exchange. Now it's time to play. The leading player puts down a card face up. The following player must follow suit if possible, or they may play a potion card. Compare the two cards. If they are the same suit, the higher number wins. But get this, they are different suits, the higher color wins. So let's talk about that. When someone first plays a color, that color's token is added to the ranking, from weakest to strongest. This means that the third color, or the third suit, played in a round is the strongest one. Playing potion cards has the potential to change everything. Everything. When a potion card is played, one of three things happens. If the other card is red... That's wrath. Remove the color rank tokens from the board. You're going to reset and start the colors over again. But if it's purple... That's pride. The player who won the trick takes another trick from the other player's completed ones. If it's green... This is envy or greed. The players swap two cards. If the leading player puts down a potion, they state a suit that their opponent must play instead. These potion cards can really mix up the flow of the game, especially if you play them at the right time. The goal of the game is to get the identity token all the way to the other side. But only if you're Hyde. If you're Jekyll, you want to keep that from happening by the end of the third round. The number of spaces that identity token moves 
is equal to the difference between the tricks won by each player in the round. So this means Hyde wants to make that difference as big as possible, either by winning or losing as many tricks as they can. But Jekyll wants to keep them in balance. So let's talk about our expectations for this game. I didn't have any. I, I didn't really have any. It's two-player trick-taking, which seems like kind of a tricky thing <laughs> to get right. The idea of balance versus extremes was really interesting and seems to fit this theme really well. And you know what's really cool? Especially if you lose. You know that feeling you get when you finish some kind of like puzzle thing and you're like, mm, I can do it better. I want to do it again. Yeah. I feel that way about this game. <laughs> All the, usually because you beat me. And the art is just fantastic. It is. It totally is. We also expected it to be a relatively quick game. It's a small box. It's a very small box. And it's a two-player game. So let's talk about what surprised us from this game. Well, it was fast. But we were still surprised with just how fast it was. This has already become one of our favorite quick two-player games. Like many trick-taking games, a lot of the interest in Jekyll vs. Hyde is really all in your mind. If I play this, I can force him to play that, but is that really what I want to do? As Jekyll, it is incredibly challenging to win just the right number of tricks. <laughs> and as Hyde, you need to be ready to pivot your strategy to either win as much as possible or give away as much as possible. Jekyll versus Hyde, do we recommend this game? This is a great game for older kids and adults. It's thinky without being long or complicated. It's got a theme that's just a tiny bit creepy, and I think it would be an awesome choice to play around Halloween. The watercolor art is gorgeous, and the Two-Face bust, I love that piece. It's a nice statement piece on the board. It looks so good. We really can't get enough of this game. It has quickly become one of the games that the two of us play a lot. Honestly, I'm having a hard time coming up with things that bother me about this one. So, me Anitra, <laughs> what do you think we'll rate Jekyll versus Hyde? I, I agree with you. We're going to give Jekyll versus Hyde a perfect rating, five potions out of five. And that's Jekyll versus Hyde in, in a, a snap. snap. All right, and we are back. So there's 1,160 games on the BGG Essen Spiel Geek Preview thing, and we actually went through all of them. You went through all of them. Let's give credit where credit is due. <laughs> I went through about 300 of them, which was plenty. Yeah, well, so let's talk about some of the games that are on this list. Here's the goal that I have for this episode of the podcast. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about some games. I really, really, really want listeners to comment on the show post for this or send us a tweet or send us a message at uh, Family uh, Gamers Facebook AA on whatever, Facebook, yeah. whatever, if there is a game that you know is going to be at Essen that we don't mention. Now, sometimes there's games that we don't have on our list because we know we're going to be able to have access to those games in other places. So that's yeah. definitely a possibility. Yep. So uh, if there's something that you are interested in and we don't mention it and you want me to see if I can maybe see it, my time is limited. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but can, I will try. You can mention it and we can also let you know if we're already planning on looking at that at yep. PAX Unplugged. Yep. So yeah, there's lots of different ways. PAX Unplugged is certainly one of the possibilities for a reason why it might not be on this list. But I want you listeners to tell me what you want me to look at. And All the only right. way for me to do that is to invite you to <laughs> tweet, Facebook, whatever, and also tell you about some stuff that I and planning on taking a look at. The first one I'm going to talk about is a game called Coral. Oh, man, this game 
sounds really, really cool. And it's supposed to be like maximum 20 minutes. You're building a coral reef together with 3D wooden pieces. Yeah, and it looks like there are different scoring goals, which are, you know, your ability to see certain colors of coral as you build this three-dimensional kind of coral reef, which yeah. is really interesting. Honestly, from the description, it makes me think a little bit of something like a, like an ecos, but simpler while also being more table presence, maybe. Yeah, I mean, this actually makes me think of something almost like a Ubongo 3D kind of thing, but with variable scoring mechanics. Sure, sure. Because it's those kinds of pieces, those kinds of polyhedron pieces mm, that mm-hmm, all connect mm-hmm. together. And it'll say something like, get a point for your red faces that are showing. Get one point for zero to four red faces. Get two points for, you know, five to seven, three points for eight to nine red faces showing. And so you've got all these different goals that you're trying to hit before you hit a certain scoring threshold. And it's just really, it's a really interesting idea and it's a really interesting concept. And it's not like that game Control that we played from Pandasaurus where the pieces, you have to kind of stick the pieces together and it it didn't really work. Like these are not designed to actually mechanically connect to each other. So you definitely have to just stack them. And I actually prefer that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So this is Coral from... Two Tomatoes. Two Tomatoes. All right. What's on your list? Well, I'm interested in... I think you say this as... Daedalos? Yeah. Daedalos? It depends on what language you're coming from, I think. (laughs) Um, But the idea is that, I mean, Daedalus was the architect who designed the labyrinth to hold the Minotaur. Yeah. And, I mean, the box has a Minotaur on the front, so it seems pretty reasonable that that's a good assumption. Yeah. Well, so the idea behind the game is that you have been thrown into the labyrinth. Everybody is trying to escape. Everybody is trying to be the only one who escapes. And also the Minotaur might show up. (laughs) (laughs) As you build a maze to try to get yourself to the exit and block anybody else from doing so. Yeah. So I'm really interested in this game because the art style, like, it looks a bit more intense than an 8 plus game. But the actual game on the table looks a little bit like a Karak style game where you're kind of laying out these tiles to move yourself around to eventually get out. You've got real minis that you're using to, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. move yourselves around. There's a really cool looking uh, Minotaur Mini. I'm not usually a mini guy, but it's really cool looking. And a game's not supposed to last any more than 30 minutes. So definitely interested in checking this one out and seeing what it looks like on the table. Also from Atomo Games, Atomo Games, is this other really kind of interesting game that they have called Story Colors. So even from the name, this just seems weird but cool yeah so the way story colors works is you're gonna get a sentence and what you need to do is behind your screen you need to allocate different colors to different parts of the sentence and uh, you roll these dice and you'll have four dice and you have kind of four points on this board where you have to say okay this is the color sequence that matches this sentence Okay, right? sure. And you read the sentence and other people have to try to match that. So the example that's on BGG is, the cook looked at me weirdly and I didn't know why. And somebody has rolled these dice and they ended up with red, purple, blue, and green. And they elected to put them in that order, red, purple, blue, green. 
on this little board that's behind a screen. So I'm not really clear if they're allowed to say what the four colors are and then allocate them or, or whatever. I, I'm not 100% sure about the details of this game, but it looks really interesting. And there's definitely this kind of sort of word gamey, kind of mind meldy, reedy kind of party game thing that okay. I just think is really interesting. It's really kind of neat. And it's, you know, it's pretty. All right. All right. Here's one. Again, just from the name, I wanted to make sure that we took a look at this. I'm going to guess you're going to say zombie life insurance. Yes, zombie <laughs> life insurance. Total guess. Love it. You are just a salary man, you know, your typical businessman. And everyone around you is starting to become zombies. You are trying to survive the zombie epidemic, but also decide whether to invest your money in zombie life insurance. <laughs> Or buy protective <laughs> equipment to keep from getting infected. So maybe you bought the life insurance, but then you become a zombie and you try to infect other people, but at least your family is living okay because they got the payout from your zombie life insurance. <laughs> the idea behind this is hilarious to me because it combines, you know, zombies are such a like funny tool to work with, but it's also got this weird like, kind of economic-y feel. It's rated 8 plus with a max play time of an hour. So, I, I mean, I, yeah. Here, here's what it says. Commodity speculation, which tracks with what you described, yep. but also hot potato educational and humor. Yes, with I, zombies. I Okay. It's also right around the corner from the booth I'm working, so... So I'm, I'm very hopeful. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, let's see. The next one I want to talk about is a game called... La Niakea. This game is really, really pretty. So you can kind of tell from the name, it's got a kind of a Polynesian kind of root to it. It's a themed as a Hawaiian beach. And what you're trying to do is get your eight tokens from one side of the board to the other. So this is okay. a two-player yep, so game. Yep. I've got my eight tokens. You've got your eight tokens. And the way this game works is really, really interesting. There's six rows of tiles. And they kind of sit in these like slots on this wooden playboard. And uh, if you fill all the slots up with these tiles, the tiles have either blank sections or little turtle icons. If you fill it up, you have one tile left. Uh, I'm not clear uh, whether these tiles are double-sided or not. I hope they are for variance purposes, but sure. I, I just don't know. And so what happens is as you're you know taking your turn, you... Like move, I think you move two tokens, one space each or one token, two spaces. So you've got two kind of single mm -hmm, moves. Mm -hmm. And then you need to take the tile and push it into one of the slots, which is going to pop out a tile on the other side. Makes sense? You're, yep. And you're also not allowed to stop on any of the turtles. Right. You can't step on a turtle. And if your token is on the tile that gets pushed off the end, you have to take it back at the beginning. Yep. And so you're kind of trying to work your way across the board while the turtles are moving because all these tiles are shifting back mm -hmm, and forth mm -hmm. and you don't want to get pinned. And, you know, obviously your opponent is trying to pin you or push your guys off. It's just a really neat game. It's very simple. This is one of those really elegant looking abstracts. I'm really into this. I'm really uh, kind of excited to check this one out. This is Lania Kea from Clemens Gerhards. All right. What about... Takedo Duo from Fun Ford. I mean, so I think we actually, at one point, we had Takedo, and I think we moved on from it. Um, I think it was because it wasn't super great at two players. Uh, that is one of the reasons we moved on from it, yeah. Yeah, but it's 
beautiful. I mean, the game is gorgeous. It's a great game. I love the style, that kind of art style that Antoine Bauza, I don't know who it is that he always seems to work with as artists, but they have this very similar kind of uh, uh, kind of art style. Uh, Xavier Durin does the art for Tokaido Duo. He probably did the art for Tokaido also. He also did the art for Namiji, which is another game that uh, FunForge is going to be showing. But yeah, talk about Tokaido Duo. I mean, what else is there to say? Apparently, they've come <laughs> up with two players pace the smallest aisle of the Japanese archipelago. So I guess you control three different characters each. You're trying to kind of maximize your possibilities through the use of three characters. They don't even have any pictures yet on BGG to say... You know, if this is the same kind of board or not. I'm going to guess it is. But I, I would imagine there's got to be a lot of similarities here. Otherwise, you wouldn't call it Takedo Duo. So it sounds cool. I like Takedo. I would love a smaller and tighter two-player version. Sure. Uh, I am going to talk about another two-player game that uh, has just a very visually arresting box and a cool name. And this is a Wimboway. A Wimboway. I know, I know. I, I was humming that the whole time. I know, time. right? <laughs> so, a Wimboway is published by Explorate. It's designed by Matthew Roussel. It's a two-player trick-taking game. Those are something that we've been playing a lot. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of a duel for the throne of the animal kingdom. It says. On a turn, as the lead player, you can play any of your available cards, whether it's one that's in your hand or face up on the table. The opponent must then play a card of the same suit if possible. Typical trick. If they can't, they must play an eagle. And if they can't play that, they can play anything. If the cards played are of the same suit, the higher card wins. If the opponent played an eagle, they can make it flee by placing that eagle in their own scoring pile and kind of seeding the trick. Or they can make it take flight, which means winning the trick. If the opponent played offsuit, the lead player wins a trick collects the card, and leads again. Pretty typical. At the end of a trick, if you have a face-down card on top of a pile, reveal it, making it available for play. The round ends when either a player collects their fourth hyena, or all of the cards have been played. In the latter case, count the crowns on collected cards to see who has the higher score. So it's a really kind of neat, relatively straightforward trick-taking game. They did something really interesting with the art in this game where all of the animals are drawn almost as if they're computer graphics, I guess, is okay. the best way for me to describe it. You know, if you look at a picture of a hyena, for example, everything is triangles. Like that's how they okay. render, okay. you know, that's how they render things in uh, CGI. And and it's just it's a really really cool way to kind of do this art. And that's actually what the box cover looks like as well. So I don't know how much a game like this would cost. It, there's not a lot in the box. So I would think it would be relatively inexpensive, but this might be a pretty kind of cool game to pick up. Eight plus 20 to 30 minutes, a Wimboway. All right. I'm going to skip a little further down the list again and mention a publisher and then a, one specific game. Helvetic or Helvetic. Uh-huh. They are a Swiss board game publisher. So I've seen some of their stuff before, but it's not the kind of thing you normally see in the U.S. They do a lot of small box games. They're probably best known for Bandito. And they've got a whole list of stuff they're showing at Essen. And the one that really caught my eye is called Papageno. So I am a huge fan of Mozart. 
<laughs> and Papageno is one of the characters in the Magic Flute. Well, that's where I recognize that name from. Yes, I knew he I recognized the king it of from the somewhere. birds. Yes, yes, yes. I just couldn't remember. So this is a card game where you're exchanging bigger birds for smaller ones or smaller ones for bigger ones to create pairs and find the perfect balance on your wire. But Papageno, Mozart's famous bird catcher, can help attract birds to your garden or mess with other players' gardens. Rude. It seems like it's a relatively simple little card game, but I love the theming and the art is kind of cool too. It definitely harkens back to what I have seen of the way people usually put together the costumes for the magic flute and stuff. It's just, it's very over the top bird costume. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this... You know, if you have never seen Bandito or, you know, any of their games, kind of think Oink Games and you're pretty yeah, much in the similar. right, you know, ballpark for this. Yeah. Okay, Anitra. The next game yes. that I am really into, I actually want you to click on this because I want you to look at the pictures of this one. This is a game from a publisher that published one of your favorite games of the year. Okay. But you don't know it uh, because... In the United States, it was not published by Grana. It was published by Portal Games. The game I'm talking about is a game called Spacecraft. Okay. Uh, Grana published Gutenberg originally. Uh Yes. Oh, I thought I recognized that name. Yes. So Spacecraft is this just super, super cool looking game. 30, 60 minutes, age 10 plus, community says 8 plus. Here's what it says. At the scrapyard on the outskirts of the city, four eccentric scientists rummage through piles of useless trash. They are competing to see who is the best rocket designer. The task is not easy and the materials are limited. Which eccentric researcher will be the first to fly into space in his innovative rocket? Spacecraft is a family game in which two to four players build crazy rockets. The game is for players age 10 plus and will take around 15 minutes per player, which if you remember what they said about the time frame in Gutenberg, it was a per player time frame. Yep. So, you know, again, same publisher. During their turn, players will move their pawns on the scrapyard board to collect scrap tiles. Later, they will use those tiles to craft rocket pieces. By collecting specific rocket elements, players will fulfill contracts and those will grant them additional points by the end of the game. If you click into the pictures for this, you actually build a rocket almost like with puzzle pieces. Yeah. Do you see this? Yeah, I see it. It looks so fun and so neat. It actually kind of makes me think of First Rat a little bit. Well, yeah, and that's because it's the idea of making a rocket out of scrap. Right, um, which is, you know, the kind of the core and, of that game as and well. And both in First Rat and in this one, there's this similar style that's realistic-ish. It's kind of gritty. Like, this is not your polished, perfect But it's cartoon thing, gritty. But it's cartoon gritty, exactly. Yeah. It's part of what makes it feel a little bit more realistic in style, even though it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> it looks very cool. I mean, I like the idea of building a rocket from scrap anyway, even though it's terribly dangerous. Uh, Best done through the mechanism of a board game. Do not try this at home in real life, folks. Yeah, our kids are convinced that they're going to build rockets. I mean, (laughs) they should just go to school for it first. That's fine. (laughs) But anyway, so that's the game, Spacecraft. Are you you in on this? Because I am am, so in on this game. I am in on this game. Yeah. And this is in Hall 5, so maybe I can get a hold of this one. Maybe. All right. All right. Well, I think we could talk about this stuff all day. How about we do this? You pick two more, I pick two more, and then we'll be done. Does that work? Sure. All right. So I've got Stack and Stuff, a patchwork game. Okay. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Unsurprisingly, this is from Uwe Rosenberg. <laughs> but this should be right up your alley. Instead of making a patchwork quilt, we are trying to pack everything into a moving truck. Now, hold on. Why do you say this is right up my alley? Hold <laughs> because on. you used to work at FedEx. That's true, but I don't. And, and you want are like a master anymore. packer. Uh, it's a thing. It is a thing I do. Yeah. I mean,. I don't know. The way I beat you on the regular at Baron Park, do you really want me to do this? Oh, it'd be fun, though. <laughs> it'd be fun. Okay. So this looks, honestly, it does look a lot like patchwork, but with a slightly more kid-friendly theme, I guess would be the best way to put it. So sure. like you're going along a track with crates on it instead of small patches, and you've got spots that you pass that would obviously give you income. So it's still your time path and your box that you're filling with stuff. But this time your box is a truck and you're filling it with furniture and stuffed animals and <laughs> drum sets and chairs and all kinds of things. Yeah. And this one is actually ranked age six plus 20 to 30 minutes. So it's definitely designed to be a little bit more approachable. I don't think patchwork is particularly complicated, but I don't think it's a six plus game. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. All right. For me, I am going to pick... A really neat looking game called Ice Flows and Foes. So I was looking at this. This looks very similar to a game that I know came out in the U.S. recently. Are you thinking of Kabuto Sumo? No. Okay. No, I'm not. Okay, so now that I'm looking at the pictures. So I'm not wrong. This looks very much like that game, but it is not that game. <laughs> um, the game I'm thinking of has penguins on ice flows, but your goal is to try to get your penguin home, quote unquote. So it's more like a constant river that the ice is constantly flowing down because okay. you're pushing you're pushing new things in from a very specific direction. Sure. This one, you're right, looks a lot more like Kabuto Sumo. You've got kind of a roundish board and you're pushing in from the sides. So the idea is you're shoving ice flows onto the board and trying to knock the fishing boats and hunters off the board on the other side. But you don't want to knock the seals and the whales off the board. So there's all these different shape tiles. Obviously, there are whale tiles and shark tiles or whatever else there are, but there's also boat tiles. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so you're trying to kind of navigate those boats off the edges. Obviously, it's not really that big of a deal if ice falls off the edge, but you definitely don't want to uh, knock the other animals off the edge. So, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of classified as a kid's game. It's uh, age six plus 15 to 30 minutes, but, you know, it still captures a little bit of that dexterity thing that was so interesting with Kabuto Sumo. For sure. This looks very interesting and cool. It definitely is the kind of game that's going to have a nice table presence that I want to check out at the show if I have time. And that's that. All right. Well, to prove that we can't be locked down into one theme. <laughs> okay. In case anyone suspects that. I am also interested in Cyber Doom Tower from yeah, this game Little Rocket Games. Weird. Yeah, yeah, it does. So in this game, it is a futuristic dungeon delve. So you can either play it solo or co-op. You are trying to make your way through the through the computer, basically. You're trying to collect passcodes and unlock the top floor of Cyberdoom Tower so you can defeat the AI who controls the machines and defeat save the, the world. AI. <laughs> and you're going to spend AP. You're going to roll dice. You're going to upgrade your gear. But the more time you spend, the harder the tasks become. So... 
you're going to have to make this trade-off between trying to do things quickly, but not really powered up super well, or trying to gather up your power, but then the tasks are going to be harder. So it seemed cool. Also, the idea of a dungeon delve that is not your typical fantasy dungeon. Mm -hmm. I really like that idea. Cyberpunk kind of appeals to me. (laughs) I I mean... I think that like cyberpunk and kind of that a lot of that futuristic sci-fi stuff is kind of in a lull right now. It seems to be like fantasy is sort of the the rage of the day, right? With uh, with uh, yeah. everything that's coming out. I mean, obviously there's the Lord of the Rings show and there's you know the other Game of Thrones show and all that other stuff. And there's not really a lot of fresh new sci-fi out there on the market. So you know you're not wrong that certainly that's not the direction the market is going right now. These games are really interesting because I know I say this a lot, but the art style. This is yeah. a game that has this kind of 8-bit sort of style to a lot of the artwork in it, which normally is not really my thing, but I do find it like weirdly refreshing that the game is super unapologetic about what it looks like. It's like, yep, this is what I am. And well, I own and it's, it. it's super in keeping with the theme. Like, yep. it works because of that. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. All right. Oh, now I have to pick one. Okay, here we go. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to this, I suspect that there's going to be a fair amount of interest in this game, but we've talked in the past about our kids and their extreme interest in the zombie kid stuff. Scorpion Mask, the company mm, uh, mm-hmm. that publishes those, has announced flashback zombie kids. They call this the first ever investigation game that evolves as you play. This is uh, age seven plus. It says, lead the investigation in the universe of zombie kids. Your mission is to foil the zombies' nefarious plans. It's an investigation game using pictures. Embark on a cooperative adventure with other kids or with your whole family in a world frozen in time. Discover the whole story bit by bit through the eyes of the characters living it. Put together all the points of view to discover clues, uncover and figure out mysteries, and answer the final questions. Explore the past to solve mysteries in the present, and change the future to save the world from horrible monsters. Mm. So it looks like there are still envelopes in this game or some kind of hidden information in this game, but it definitely changes the general gameplay. Like Zombie Kid Evolution and the Zombie Teens Evolution, like there were differences, but they were still largely mechanically the same. They're the same kind of game. Yeah, This is very different, but it's still in that Zombie Kids universe. So I'm really interested to see how this is. Uh, it is going to be at the show, and it's 25 euros, which, I mean, I don't really know what euros translate to. I about feel like, a dollar. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I figured. So there you go. So about 25 bucks. This is a game that I might try to actually pick up and squirrel away for Christmas. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be in the States by then, but I'm certainly interested enough that this is a game that I would like to buy and um, and hide. Yeah. All right, one last one. I know we said two. I picked one Are more. Are you cheating? I'm cheating. All right, you I'll can cheat, cheat too. too. I will. <laughs> Don't worry about me. There is one particular oink game that I'm also quite interested in, which is Order Overload Cafe. You and your fellow players are all working in a coffee shop, and you're trying to keep a handle on all the orders coming in. You deal out cards face up. You read them aloud so everybody knows what all the orders are, and then you pick them up again and deal them out face down. So on your turn, you have to name an order that's in someone else's hand. And so it's a trying to avoid being eliminated, trying to eliminate other people, but like super fast moving and with this little coffee shop theme, which feels fun to me. I mean, oink games are never like deep and super challenging. They're light and they're fun and they're the kind of thing you could teach in two minutes. 
I mean, look, the game is rated age six plus, right? So it certainly is not going to be too terribly complicated. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I will cheat a little bit in mentioning a third game, but I'm not going to do something dramatic. There is an expansion for Karak. Uh, if you remember, Catacombs mm-hmm, of Karak mm-hmm. was a game that we had reviewed a while ago, and it is kind of getting a, a resurfacing under Cosmos instead of Outset Media, which is where we found the game mm-hmm. originally. And uh, this is Karak Regent, which actually, I think it came out a couple of years ago, the expansion, but now it's available in English. And, Yay, uh, and this English. is another one that I want to check out. You know, we really, really like Karak a lot, but it did start to get a little samey. So it'll be nice to see a little bit more content in that world with some different kind of characters. And I'd be interested to see kind of what else you see here. It doesn't look like from all the components that there's a huge amount of difference, but there are some new tiles that would sure. get mixed into the bag. So I'm pretty interested kind of to see what that is. This very much looks like the kind of an expansion where once you mix it in, you're never going to unmix it. You know, sure. you'll never play without the expansion kind of sure. thing. So uh, I-, I would expect it to be relatively inexpensive. It says 15 euros here. So this will be another one that I'm really interested in taking a look at. Maybe we'll reach out to our Cosmos friends and see if yeah, we can uh, too. land sure. something that way. All right, there's some other stuff. Turing Machine, we've already talked about a bazillion times. Oh, Turing Machine. Uh, and a few other ones that I'm kind of interested in. There's going to be a kid version of Mysterium, for example. Mm-hmm. That's going to be pretty interesting if I can see if I can get some eyes on that. And there's, there's so much more. There truly is. There's so much. There's some really cool detective games for kids. But I'm also nervous that some of these just aren't ever going to make it officially to the States. Yeah, and you know, ultimately that kind of was where I landed with some of the stuff. I'm like, look, if it's going to come to the United States, maybe it's not really worth it to spend the limited time that I have and, you know, the limited space I have in my luggage because yeah. I'm not checking bags uh, on some of this stuff. So, you know, that's kind of part of the struggle as well. But really, I want to get eyes on some stuff and I want to see what's, you know, kind of coming because there's a lot of things that get announced at Essen or shown off at Essen. There's lots of stuff that is on our list that says demo only, for example. Mm-hmm. And those are things that I'm really kind of just kind of excited about. I mean, Essen is a is a whole experience, right? Yeah. And um, you know, I'll be helping out with Mark at Grand Gamers Guild, which obviously Grand Gamers Guild, huge friends of the show. And um, I'm I'm into it for the adventure. Like last year, Mark had a terrible experience with his airline, and they they lost a bunch of luggage, both of his and some of his helpers. But it gives him an excellent story, and it was a whole thing. And I messaged him and I said, honestly, man, like this just makes me want to go even more. Because I'm weird like that. And he said, okay. (laughs) So that's kind of how it all started. And I can't believe it's happening in like four days. So very excited about that. Again, if you have heard about anything that we didn't mention and you would like me to attempt to take a look, please let me know. There's lots of different ways that you can get a hold of us. Anitra, can you share some of those, please? Sure. Probably the best way to get a hold of us is on social media, Facebook and Twitter at Family Gamers AA. Also, sometimes Instagram and TikTok at Family Gamers AA. <laughs> you can find our YouTube videos. I strongly recommend you head over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Family Gamers, to see our review for Jekyll versus Hyde. We kind of teased this mm-hmm. on last week's show. Very, 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 very much loving this game. <laughs> it looks great. It plays great. Huge, huge, huge fans of this one. Obviously, you heard the audio in the middle of the show. Five out of five. Perfect score. Love this game. You want to so you want to go look at this because it 
looks really cool. And, you know, it was one thing that you pointed out is Vincent Dutrade did an incredible job kind of showing the descent into madness yeah. of Jekyll slash Hyde as the card numbers get higher, which yeah. is just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So anyway, so you can do all those things. You can also email us, Andrew, at thefamilygamers.com. Anita at thefamilygamers.com. You can go to the Family Gamers community on Facebook and comment and tell us there, like, why aren't you going to go see such and such at Essen? Or I really want to go see such and such at Essen. Or I'm really jealous that you get to go to Essen. <laughs> <laughs> All of those are valid. Yeah, <laughs> the easiest way to get there is thefamilygamers.com slash community. Or you can search for us on Facebook. All right. If you want to do what Chris Anderson did and send us weird food for us to try on the show, you can absolutely do that by sending that to The Family Gamers, 60 Auburn Street, number 528, Auburn, Mass., 01501. All of this information is on our website and also in the show notes for this episode. So if you are on a smart device, phone-like thing, you can swipe right and see all of this there. Right. Please don't forget to subscribe to this show while you're in your podcast app. Tell your friends about the show. Leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or whatever your subscription source is. You can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. All right. Well, guess what, Anitra? By the time people are listening to this, I'll be on an airplane. Yes, you will. I I miss you already. (laughs) So it's going to be a very long week for me. The week will probably scream by anyway. And until then, everyone, play Play games games with your kids. kids.